When your ideal customer's kids are begging every night to read your book, you've won. At Dinosaur House, we turn industry leaders into kids' book authors. We don't do it because it's a super fun thing to do, although it is. We do it because it's highly strategic. Imagine if every night your customers are being asked by their kids to read a book that your company made. Talk about brand affinity. You're helping your customers connect deeply with the most important thing in their lives, their kids, over something that they are passionate about that has to do with your industry. If you want to have a conversation with us about how your brand could become the author of a kid's book, just hit us up, dinosaurhouse.com. Hit the little button that says schedule a story design call. And we'll have a jam session together on just what your company's kids book could and should be. Hi, I'm Lisa Laporte, and I'm the CEO at twit.tv. You can check us out on the web or anywhere you get your favorite podcatcher. And you're listening to The Purpose Driven Entrepreneur. What's up, Purpose Driven Entrepreneurs? It's me, your host, Timmy Bauer, and my guest today is Lisa. Lisa, thank you so much for being on. Well, thank you for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you. The first thing before we get into any of the stuff that I want to talk about, if you could explain a little bit about how your business works, as in what exactly is it that you sell to who do you sell it to? How did you start it? What's been your growth? Well, that's that's an excellent question. So we are a technology podcast network, and I love saying that now because everyone knows what a podcast is. So we produce 15 shows. Almost all of them are weekly. And if you're interested in tech, we have everything from Mac Break Weekly to This Week in Tech to Tech News Weekly, which is a short, quick hit for those people that just want to know a little bit about tech. But we also get super nerdy, and we have Security Now and This Week in Enterprise Tech. And if you want to know how to use a device or you want to know more about technology, we recommend coming to our network. Now on our network, what we do is we sell ads in our ad supported side. We've totally believed that our content should be free to everyone if they can consume us and download us. So we have um, ads in part of our content. And then when the pandemic hit and also there's all these ad tracking tools that are popping up, a lot of our fans are very security focused. So we actually launched Club Twit, which provides all of our shows ad free for $7 a month. You get a couple of bonus shows that we're not putting out to the ad supported side. And we also have this fun like Discord um, channel for all of our fans to connect in the club. So it kind of, you know, we've pivoted from just being a fully ad supported network to also offering a subscription service. So that's what we do. And we typically sell to clients through agencies. And I also have a direct sales team. So if anyone's looking to reach a really tech savvy audience that wants a boutique experience and not just a dynamic ad insertion, they tend to come to us and talk with us. Now, I normally like to ask what's been one of the hardest problems that you've had to try to figure out how to solve within your business. But given that you just had a pandemic pivot, I'm curious about what's been some of one or some of the hardest problems that you've been trying to solve through the pivot. I would say the the biggest problem I've had from inception up to now is constant advertisers are wanting to track our audience and putting pixels on our website and really track us heavily. And our audience doesn't want that. They're security focused. They don't want you to know exactly where they live, how many kids they have, their 
their dogs, you know, they don't really want to give that privacy, that that security information away. So that's been one of my challenges all along because ad tech keeps coming out for podcasts and everybody wants to know so much about our fans at such a granular level. It makes our fans nervous. So actually when the pandemic hit, my biggest challenge was losing 60% of my revenue in a week. But I, I know I'm not unique in that. I'm sure everybody went through the same challenge. And then it made me realize we were one dimensional. What were we? We're an ad supported network. What happened? Lost 60% of my business in a week. So it made me think more too about the privacy of our audience, all the emails we get. I don't wanna be tracked. What's with all this ad stuff? So in the pandemic, it took me a few months and a little bit of research. And I would say the biggest challenge was we need to stop offering one thing. We have to be a little bit more than one dimensional. And so we've added in the pandemic a club and we're now telling people, hey, if you don't wanna be tracked, I mean, we know who you are because you're gonna set up a payment system through our club, but here's a place you can come. There's no ad tracking tools. You can hang out with other people, which I think was really important. I think a lot of people felt lonely in the pandemic. I mean, we're talking to people in Zoom boxes, but you wanna hang out with people that are like-minded. So we added that piece to it as well. And, you know, and then so throughout the pandemic, we were just trying to grow this club. And honestly, I think the hardest thing in the pandemic was like morale, keeping people motivated because everybody was at home, work from home, you know, with animals, kids in school and things like that. So we also had, you know, that challenge of keeping the morale high. How do we, how do we get people through this? And then, you know, also still producing our shows and getting content out to everyone to try to keep their spirits up. So that was probably our biggest challenge was losing all of our advertisers and then adding this club, which we felt was a great benefit to our audience. And it's still growing to this day. So our club's been around for a little over a year and it was probably the best thing we did in the pandemic. Mm. So I'm curious about the revenue loss because I would have thought um, with the, was that just companies like in general cutting their ad spend or because I know that wasn't there a big pivot, like all the budget that was going towards events, like moved over to podcasting or did that not affect your business or how did that? That didn't happen fast enough for us. So the people that canceled were the people that mostly were doing B2C, so business to consumer. And the problem is people don't need to buy a camera travel bag with a pandemic here. People don't need sense. to buy clothes without a pandemic here. But I did have some um, big companies that were mostly B2C just completely go, we got to cut. And so the, the beauty for me was I was extremely proactive. Like when we found out this was real, I reached out to every single one of my partners. We all have cancellation terms. I reached out to every single one of my partners and I said, here's 30% more of your contract in free ads. If you don't cancel, we'd love to help you and give you a bonus and here a bunch of, a bunch of free stuff. Can we help you in your business? And if you need to leave our business, we'll let you break the terms of our contract. Cause we have pretty strict terms. Our inventory is super limited. It's very exclusive and boutique. So I pretty much offered to everybody 30% more in free ads or they could cancel their contract early if they needed to. So people, people canceled. So I think I saved about, of the 40% we saved, we saved about 20% because we did the free ads and it really helped them. And so they stayed with us. And then the people that canceled like immediately ended up, I'd say about 
half of them came back later, but it took a while. And I would say the first year was, was probably the roughest, but then the money started coming into the podcast market because you gotta, you know, Zoom was advertising everywhere. So people were starting all these at-home tools, all these security companies started coming to us. So it ended up turning to be okay last year, going into this year. And now with the recession looming, we're doing something similar. I'm just reaching out to people saying, here's a couple more free ads. I hope this helps you in your business. So I think you just need to pay attention and be as proactive as you can with people in a in a crisis so you're right money did flow into podcasting but i think everyone did the oh my god cancel everything let's figure this out over the first few months and then that money started to trickle back into us you know but it was probably a good eight to nine months later before yeah. we started seeing that really coming out from your experience in the early days what's the hardest thing about creating a uh podcast network and 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 getting advertisers and then, and then I'm also curious about the hardest things about creating like the new model that you've created. Yeah, um, I, I, I would say the one thing I tell everybody, you know, starting at the beginning of when I stepped in, we had a handful of podcasts, we were audio only. The first thing we started to do is we were one of the first to start offering video. I don't think I would recommend that to other people. It literally raises the cost, except for today. I mean, now it's gotten cheaper, but it raises your cost of doing a podcast by 90%. You have to have cameras, you now have to edit audio and video. It becomes super expensive. So that was one of the things we did. Um, you have to grow your audience. They say today, if your podcast has two to 3,000 downloads, they consider that successful. On our network, if you're not at 10, it's not successful yet. I mean, it might Got be it. niche. We have some that are small because they're very, very niche. They're open source. They're around enterprise tech. Those are hovering at 10. That's normal. But our biggest show is over 100. Is this total or monthly? No, no, per episode. Got it. So okay. per, per episode, um, for us, you have to be about 10,000 downloads to, to remain on our network. And most people freak out when they hear that number because most people are, are maybe getting two or 3000 downloads per episode. Um, yeah. our smallest show, it's a very niche show gets 10. Our largest show gets over 130, but, but they actually get more. That's just where we put on the rate card because it fluctuates, um, depending on the show. And so, um, to build a network, you really need to, you know, push your content out there. You need to get eyeballs. And so many people I talk to start a podcast and they automatically want to have revenue. And I'm like, revenue doesn't happen right away. I mean, now you can, you can partner with people like Megaphone, they'll sell ads in the content of your shows, but you're gonna get like $20 CPMs and $20 CPMs means you get $20 for every thousand listeners. Right. So if you have a thousand listeners, you're only gonna get $20 for doing an ad. So you need downloads to be ad supported at our level. Um, before you can start doing ads. So the number one thing is grow your audience, grow your audience, grow your audience. I'll say that like a thousand times to everyone. Yeah. Don't focus on ad revenue. If you're doing a podcast and you're not excited about it and you're trying to do it for money, don't, just don't. Go do something else that you like doing. Um, so for us, we're successful in selling because I do have 15 shows. Well, 13 are on the ad supported side and we can bring the eyeballs and have a nice offering to bring to clients and say, we have the qualified audience you want. We do an annual survey. So we know about our audience. They give us their data. We don't, we don't 
we don't track them. So that's the one thing our audience doesn't want. They don't want to be tracked all over the place. So we Got actually it. ask them to fill out a survey to get the data. What, what's the hardest thing about trying to shift your network to being like a, a listener club model? The hardest thing is upsetting the ad supported people who have been getting the, so it's the way, the way I think about it, we had to give them a value proposition because we're already giving them all these shows for free. So why should they pay for it? So the first thing I did was say, okay, we're going to offer a club at $7 a month and you get all of our shows ad free and you get a really great place on discord to hang out and chat with like-minded people. So we had to come up with a value proposition. So to me, the hardest thing was not upsetting my ad supported people. I don't want my ad supported people to feel like we launched a club and that we don't care about them anymore. That's still the bulk of our business. So to me, it was just finding this equal balance of, you know, how do I do this without upsetting my ad supported side? And we upset a few people because sometimes we'll do bonus content before the shows, after the shows, we put it in a thing in discord. And some of our ad supported fans are like, I've been with you for 13 years. It's unfair. You're not giving me that stuff too. So I'm just making sure we're really careful that we balance out what we give to our free people as you know, what we give to our club, they just get a few extra things. And I just want to emphasize that with our clubbers, like, Hey, it's not like they're getting a ton of extra stuff. It's the ad free content and a cool place to hang out. And really it's, it's for the cost of a cup of coffee. I mean, I searched around and looked at clubs everywhere. Almost everyone charges $5 a show or 50 a year. And I said, you know what? I want to just charge seven bucks a month. So our fans can go there. They get 15 shows ad free. They get a discord that they can hang out in or not hang out in. And then they get some bonus before the, you know, behind the scenes stuff. They get to participate in our ask me anything's with our host. So we do a couple things for them in the club. But to me, it was really important that we balanced it and we didn't upset anyone. So, um, a couple people were upset, but for the most part, I don't think you're ever going to make everyone happy. So it's always our goal. Um, yeah. You know, but life happens. Awesome. Uh, Lisa, I started this show because I wanted to ask purpose-driven entrepreneurs what it is they're really living their life for. So when you think about a big question like, how do I want to be remembered when I die? Or what am I really living my life for, both personally and as an entrepreneur? What jumps out to you as most important? The most important thing for me is that I'm doing something that benefits somebody else. I've never been focused on money. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of people are like, that's insane, but I've never made money. My purpose. What I love about our network is like I said, our, our, most of our stuff is, you know, our ad supported side. And we get letters from people that tell us that I had no money but I listen to your podcasts, you know, at work because I don't have a computer. And I found I found IT Pro TV, which is a client of ours, and I've switched my career. And I, I have a job in tech now, and I'm making three times what I was making. I can now afford things. So getting, I, I love that part. So we feel we're really helping people with technology. Our job is to hear our host jobs are to explain to people how to use tech, you know, what, what's out there, the th how to save money, how to find careers and things like that. So I really love our network in that we get these letters and I mean, little kids, are like, I am now running a company. I'm a CTO because of listening to your content. So to me, I'm always looking to see other people shine and benefit from something I'm involved in. So for me, that's probably my biggest joy when I'm running this company. I'm always looking like, 
what's the next thing we can offer to our fans that they're really going to love and we're going to be able to pay for it with either through ads or through a club membership and get that content out there and just people writing me i was lonely in the pandemic and, and you started this club and i had friends in discord we've even had people tell us that they were contemplating suicide and then they, you know the, it, it, we got them through rough spots so so the unselfish part of me, I, I just love that. So I'm always looking for ideas and what are we going to do next? And, and always with the, how is this going to benefit our audience? That's what I do here for, for Twit. And then when it comes to me, cause I'm a serial entrepreneur, I'm always looking out there going, what, where is there a need that I can fill? So some other things I've been doing is uh, coaching sales teams. I'm really good at sales now. I don't consider it sales, I consider it partnerships. So I'm willing to, you know, bring that to the table and to see other people elevate in their careers. So whatever I do, it has to be something that's going to either benefit this world, other people, lift people up. That's, that's what I, that's what excites me. I'm inspired by something that will benefit people. That's awesome. Why is that so important to you that it's one of the things you want to hang your life on? I grew up with nothing. Like I, we, we literally, no one would tell us we were poor. <laughs> we were like, we weren't poor, poor, but we were just, we weren't middle-class either. We were kind of like lower um, to the poor side of things. And, and I grew up in a Christian, you know, household and, but it was, it was a very loving Christian household. Cause I know sometimes people get extreme on religion and, and the pieces I took away from that was you always help people and people were there for us people were there for me and my family throughout my entire life we were there for other people throughout their entire life and i always found that giving and and get having provided to when i needed support it just made me feel good so i think it was how i was raised i was always you help anyone that needs help at any given time and you know since since evolving from christianity i'm buddhist now um, I still feel that way. And every time I put out positive energy and help people out, it's always come back to me. So I think having been raised in that environment, um, it, it, it's still here to me today. So I feel like humanity is not gone when I hear how people help people and they do it and it's not about money. They just do it. And, and sometimes ideas happen out of it. Sometimes businesses are born out of it, but to me, it's always, it has to benefit everyone. Like our team here, we have an amazing team. I moved us to a four day work week at the beginning of this year. Yeah. Um, so I'm always love a four day work week, <laughs> you know, and people don't do that. And, and here's the best part. I dropped us from five working 40 hours a week to working four days, working 36 hours a week, four nines, and no one got a pay cut. Everyone just got 52 days off more a year, or they saved over 200 hours. And, and did I'm you experience always, a dip in productivity? No, no. Yeah. That's the interesting Massive thing. Excitement. A little Same like scrambling, <laughs> yeah. a little like, oh my God, we got to cover things a little differently, but we, it, we've made it work. And, yeah. um, so I'm always, I only want to grow with the benefit of growing a team. It's not, Man, I could about do a whole me. podcast episode with you just on that topic. Cause like at dinosaur house, like one of the, the, the sort of like standard thing is we're like more or less, everybody works about four hours a day. And when I talk to other entrepreneurs, they think that's crazy, but I'm like, well, I want deep work. I want the best 
working hours that each person has. And I personally only have about four solid deep work hours in a day in, in the tank. And so, um, yeah, so like, like everybody here, that's, that's kind of the standard thing. Now, sometimes a person will work six hours in a day, but generally speaking, it's like four hours in a day. And, um, yeah, the people that I talk to think that's crazy, but it's been working so You're not far. Wrong. I, I would say, um, I probably work a little bit more than that just because I have two companies. So it depends on what I have to do. So there's some days I might work 10 hours and I can actually hyper-focus pretty well to do it, but I don't think you're wrong. I think I want my team also to have time to think to be reading, to be learning. So I'm not expecting them when we went to these four nines, I don't expect them to be like banging out massive work in that whole nine hour day. You're right. It's probably four, maybe just six hours, depending. Like they have to listen to our shows. If they're editing it, then they have to check the content. Yep. But I also want them to have the opportunity to look around and see what else is out there. You know, you need time to think and grow and we only promote from within, but I don't disagree with you. I tend to hyper-focus in different points of the day. So for me, I, I work here um, Monday through Thursday, but if I'm needed on a Friday, Saturday or Sunday, I do a little bit here and there, but I don't work a traditional time. Like I got up this morning at six and from six to eight, I'm amazing. I banged out like two hours. And then I did some reading and, and I'm in a couple of meetings and I'm doing a podcast now, and then I'll go back and do a little bit more. So I don't disagree with you. I think, I think people can work four to six hours in a day and get, get the bulk of their work done. The rest of the time it's fluff, I feel, or I'm hoping they're spending some time educating themselves and doing a few other things, but I don't disagree with you on the time. Everyone was a freaked out here initially when we first did this. Yeah. And I just thought it was the best thing for them. And they all love it. I would love to, at some point, just go take unlimited vacation. Like you need a day off, you need a mental health day, just go. Um, yeah. I'm in California. So rules are a lot harder. Like for, to go to this, we had to do a vote. It took me 80 hours of my time. I had to talk to the state of California to get my team to do a vote. It's insane what I had to do to make this happen. We made it happen and everyone loves it. So yeah, we could totally talk all day on different and and I don't want to tell people where to work or when to work myself I, I really hate in California that I have to put people on on a time card so yeah. unfortunately because of what they do I I can't just go everyone's salary they all know what they got to do I can't do that and we don't abuse our employees I'm thinking just that if they want to work a different schedule I'd rather them just work when they want to work so half of our team can do that the other half can't yeah Lisa, this has been a really fun conversation. Where are you most active that you would want listeners to connect with you? Oh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Lisa Laporte. I'm the CEO of twit.tv. I use LinkedIn pretty heavily. I'm also on Twitter. You can find me at Lisa D. Laporte. And, you know, um, I have a blog, lisalaporte.ceo. People are interested in like how I do business and things like that. So there's a couple of places you can find me at. Great. Links in the description of this episode. Lisa, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Oh, it was great to be here.